you know, when we're faithful in the little things, it turns into more. But I know you don't think that little lily on her wrist is a big deal for you and your career and your portfolio, but you got to understand. She's been thinking about this for a long time. She finally got the courage to walk in here today. She listened to her favorite song on the way in. Scared getting out of her car, shutting her car door. This is her first tattoo, her first experience. And I'm going to rock the best little lily in the world. But in the meantime, I wanted her to feel safe and feel at home and feel like she picked the right place to come. So, David, when we went to interview Matt Clemere, it was the first time you had ever met him. Mm-hmm. And I had talked about him in pretty grandiose terms. Okay, there you go. Yeah. Because I love the guy. I mean, he's just, he's so fun to be around. What were you expecting based on what I told you and what did you actually experience? Well, I mean, you never know if you actually mean what you're saying or if you're maybe just a little bit expansive. Are you... When you say you, is that like a passive you or is that like Kevin Duke? Oh, okay. Yeah. (laughs) Cool. Thanks for clarifying. Yeah, no worries. Um, So I had no idea what to expect, but I was pleasantly surprised. Yeah. I mean, Matt Clemmer, first of all, he walks in with his dreadlocks, which is wicked. (laughs) But when he talks, he just actually is transparently authentic. I was surprised with how open he was willing to tell you what he thought, but it wasn't like in an aggressive way or in a way that's Mm off-putting. He was totally engaged, present, dynamic, clear, and it was obvious that he cared about us as people. He was in a conversation that meant something, Mm -hmm. uh, which I think is kind of a rare thing to run into on the street. So come to find out, you weren't very grandiose. You were just accurate because Matt Clemmer is that amazing. Thank you. I... (laughs) I like to think that I'm accurate. Right. <laughs> when, I, when I met Matt and started to have conversations with him, the thing that really stood out to me was how there he actually is in a conversation. Like he's actually just talking to you. He looks at you in the eye and is just present. And we get into that a little bit. In we this get into everything in this conversation. <laughs> Matt talks yeah, about a lot of stuff. And we have the original file. So, I mean, we have like, so many beautiful parts of the conversation that, you know, the audience isn't going to get to hear. So right, but sorry about that, guys. I think everybody will enjoy hearing this conversation though with Matt Clemmer. Today we're with Matt Clemmer, who uh, I've only known for probably four or five months, but has quickly ascended the ranks as one of my favorite people in the world. I just want to start by telling the story. The first time I walked in, to aisle nine, which was several months ago, and came in to talk to you about business insurance. I didn't know who you were, but I, I thought I would just go meet the owner. And I was actually terrified 
to walk into a tattoo shop because I didn't picture myself as, as being accepted. Mm. Took a lot of courage to actually get up and walk in. And when I walked in, I was met with something totally unexpected, totally different than what I imagined. And I thought, there's something so different about this place and I want to know what it is. So uh, then since then, I've, I've obviously got to know you more. And now I understand why I understand a little bit more about the culture that, that you guys have been able to build here. Is that a common experience, well, what I had for people to be scared <laughs> to walk into a tattoo shop? Absolutely. But before we go there, when you did walk in, whomever and whatever you were met with, it was not me. Like when you, sh- we that's did, right. I wasn't even here. Correct? That's right. You were not here. Cause I remember initially our first time connecting was over the phone. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Uh, so you weren't here, but I still experienced that. Yeah. Which is beautiful. Um, and then, you know, our phone call because it, it was a lengthy one, Yeah, you know, and on an energetic level, you know, a relationship can be built and or felt who the other person is, their mind and their heart, even over the phone, you know. And I felt like we almost became buddies on the phone before yeah. we'd even met, you know. I agree. I totally felt that way. Yeah, which was real cool. Um, but yeah, Kevin, you're absolutely right and still represent such a huge part of the world of the community, you know, the tattoo industry has changed so much over the past decade plus, especially with all the TV shows and stuff. So it has, um, you know, it's not taboo anymore. Like it used to be, you know, even in the nineties and the eighties, it was hoods and sailors or whatever, you know, and then it turned into like, you know, or bikers or then like the hardcore straight edges, whatever. There was always back in the day, you could categorize someone, if they got tattoos or didn't nowadays, it's become so mainstream with all the television shows, all walks of life have chose to express themselves in that way and get tattooed. So nowadays having one no longer categorizes you like it used to. Now what you have and where you have it could put you in the category. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Yeah, Yeah. If you've got a swastika on your neck, that might tell us something different about you than if you have like a beautiful floral piece on your arm, but we get to see it all walks of life. Literally, um, all the community, corporate America, um, people in ministry, praise and worship leaders, pastors, librarians, attorneys, again, dudes, corporate America that at work um, in the board meeting around the mahogany table in a full piece suit does not look like they have one tattoo. And once they leave that board meeting and show up in here and take their suit off and we're going back in to c- continue their body suit that stops just before their cuffs, you know, um, law enforcement, firefighters, doctors. I mean, the list just goes on and on. Uh, and so it's a beautiful thing. <sighs> But still, there are so many artists and tattoo shops that almost haven't caught up with that. And so, yes, there are still so many people that may have been sitting home on their couch watching Ink Master or a television show and talk in the safety of their home, talking to their sweetheart, thinking, you know, honey, I know I never said I'd do that, but I think maybe I'd like to maybe get something, you know, but then they're like, well, who and where? And, and there are so many shops that are still can be cold and 
just, again, like it took courage for you to show up here. Most people are afraid to walk into a tattoo shop, and unfortunately, so many of them still, once they do, are met with some sort of judgment, too cool for school. Even the uh, environment can be scary, and a lot of people are missing the miraculous uh, that you're showing up. So, IO9 is a beautiful place. Thank it's, you. Uh, very fresh, very accessible, it feels. And you guys do amazing work. I've seen a lot of trophies sitting around here. So uh, tell us a little bit about IO9 and how it got started and even how you got started in the tattoo industry. Awesome. Um, well, first of all, people say why IO9 and you know, something I'd always share with the boys and it became a thing. I'd always say things like, guys, like miracles, magic, blessings happen anywhere and everywhere. If you have the eyes to see and the heart open to it, even in IO9 at the grocery. You know, hence that name was born because I guess I'd say that all the time. Um, it's bigger than tattoos here, you know, it's a place and an atmosphere conducive for miracles and magic to happen. All walks of life are coming in here for all kinds of reasons. Um, they think they're coming in just to collect good art, great art from great tattooers, but they're met with men and women with great hearts that not only true truly care about their craft and you're right we've got a house full of award-winning artists but also truly caring about people and so it's an atmosphere conducive for so much more to happen um, a lot of beauties birthed born healings taking place all kinds of crazy beautiful stuff uh, to where the tattoo ends up becoming a cherry on top you know people either love us for that or make fun of us for it because they just don't get it for years, I was in the consulting business. I had my own private studio, um, and different shops would have me come in as a consultant to help them grow in their business, not only in their technical uh, design and with their with their art, but also in just sales and service. And then, you know, I would go and devote time to help build that shop for a little bit, and then go back to a private studio. Um, and I did that enough that along the way, there were certain guys that uh, just wanted to come with me. But I just had a private studio, and at the time I wasn't looking to start my own shop. I wasn't ever really thinking about that. But over time, I had enough guys that wanted to come with me, wanted to come work and build something together. And even though I was like, nah, fellas, you guys are great right where you're at, I would wake up to text messages from different dudes standing in front of buildings available, buildings for lease, spaces for lease with the specs on it and send me a text. Like they weren't taking no for an answer. Matt, here's a building. Matt, here's a building. Man, we just want to come with you, you know. And with enough arm twisting, I finally was like, boys, if you're serious, okay, I'll look for a building. And I did. Uh, and aisle nine was born, you know. And we just came up on celebrating our two-year anniversary everyone's been in the game way longer than that but aisle nine has only been here for two years now uh and it's been beautiful the things we've gotten to accomplish and build together um not only in the industry uh but when the community too has been real special so how does family play a role in your business or does it mm family is my business like you know because i realized too we can't separate our personal life from our business life now being a professional you know you have to separate that to a degree right 
but on the inside of your own heart and mind, you can't really. And so that's why all matters. You know what I'm saying? That's why, you know, if you're having a rough time in your personal life, it shows up in your professional life, even if you're good at hiding it, you know? And so, but other than that, so that's why I said family is my business and, you know, it's my number one priority. Now, finding that balance and in harmony has uh, always, you know, been a challenge, but I feel real, real blessed. But first of all, I never wanted to get married definitely never wanted to have kids and didn't think I was capable, you know? Um, but I did not know what I was saying no to and God had other plans and I am married and now I have three kids and I love being a father. I love it so much. I'd have five more if my wife was down, but she's not, but I love it. And so, um, yeah, to me again, back to that happiness, it's crushing it in business and crushing it in family life and allocating and having the time to do both always and be present at both. And that's something that we all got to learn and I had to learn like because there were times where I'd go home to be with my family. I'm physically there, but I'm still worried about work and I'm stepping out and answering messages or whatever, you know. So then I really wasn't present, you know, or coming to work and now I'm worried about stuff's going home. So I had to figure out how to do both and do both well and it never being an either or but it's like my life um and that's still a beautiful dance you know um and sometimes you'll see me rolling around here with my one-year-old baby in my arms last night my seven-year-old daughter was kicking it here she's come up in the tattoo shop so even as part of our culture my daughter's the youngest tattoo artist in the world she's been tattooing since she was four years old and she, her only client is me. She tattoos dad. Um, being seven, she just did her most recent. You know, I usually have her just tattoo my leg and my thigh. It doesn't matter. No one can ever see it. Now that she's seven, she's a little older. She's thinking even more like an artist and conceptually um, and wanted to do this most recent piece right on the top of my forearm. I was like, oh, baby, I love how you're thinking. Daddy, I just think it'd flow real nice there, and you'd be able to see it. Oh, honey, I love how you're thinking. That's a, You're right. It would flow good there, but we're going to find a good spot on my leg for this. You know, <laughs> came here, stood in front of the mirror, held her image up to my thigh, and she's like, mm, no, Dad, I really think it looks better on your arm. And I was like, Whew. And I just had to trust my artist. Okay, baby, let's get it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, wow. And, and then you haven't seen it, so here it is. This is... That's her and her baby sister. Oh, my. So those of you who can't see it, it's two little cute stick figures colored in look like it's done with crayon. That is amazing. You know, and that's love. So That is. That's... <sighs> to be bring family in with my work and my work with family, you know, uh, and we just, in my uh, artist here, my crew here is family. Our clients are family, you know what I'm saying? So to keep the culture of family and anywhere in life, you know, is fun. Again, coming from a guy that never wanted to have one, now that I've got one, man, it's on. I honor it, you know. That tattoo made me teary. Man. Yeah, about that. It's the most beautiful one you have. Yep. For sure. You let all of your... The people that you mentor, their first tattoo is on you. Yep, everyone. Why do you do that? Uh, For several reasons. One, I'm ushering them in. 
uh, too. So it's almost the rite of passage. It's an honor thing. Um, and I just want, if, and it's for me to get to be a part of it too. So every apprentice, their first tattoo goes on me. And usually that's awesome. It's an honor. They're scared of shit. They're tattooing me. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> uh, which is awesome. The only time I would make an exception is if they have a spouse or a loved one. And it would be special for them to say they had the first one. That hasn't happened yet. You know, even those that tattoo their spouses, most of them, they want to wait till they actually get good. <laughs> you know, they're going to do their rough, the bullshit on me, you know. And that's the beauty of it, too, because no one's first tattoo is expected to be amazing. Um, and I feel like as a leader, I'm giving them, you know, a part of me as they are, too. Um, and I don't really know. It's just always been a thing, you know, and I think it's real special. And so I've got a leg covered in first tattoos so much of what you said is a is about and this i picked up on this through our conversations and stuff but it's that you love people yeah people are why you do what you do and when we started this podcast we said we want to interview people that are engaging with the world as if other people matter man come on right and that shouldn't be a rare thing yeah no (laughs) it's so rare that those of us that do people don't know how to take it or receive it and may think like um, you've got ulterior motive. What do you really want from me? And that's fun too, because you don't allow that to stop. It takes consistency. I'm a regular at certain places, the coffee shop, Whole Foods, whatever, you know, wherever I go and I shop, I hit it multiple times. You know, and I see it, whether I'm walking into Speedway and you can people watch everyone in line, they're just placing their order to the person running the counter as if they're just whatever, like a a worker man or a worker girl. Yeah, let me get some of those great blunts, bet, you know, like (laughs) just shouting their order or whatever, you know. Um, Instead of treating them like a human being, they're on the shift. Maybe they're, you know, and so it's weird, but just the little things, the power of acknowledgement. So, you know, when I'm at the coffee shop, when I go to Whole Foods, the guy that's working the pizza kitchen you know and have you guys gone to whole uh-huh, foods and yeah. there's just pizzas up there you can just help yourself right you don't even have to talk to that dude that made your pizza right but why not it only takes three seconds for me to stop and i remember the first few times i did it, i'd stop the dude and be like hey man i just wanted to tell you thanks for making my dinner tonight and i knew in that moment i may occurred the weird guy or their walls are up like you know like they don't want to let themselves be happy about that this is weird no one thinks me for making their dinner but the consistency of me doing it now they're trying to out love me out bless me they're like trying to acknowledge me they're trying they want to give something to me now they want to hook it so i almost certain places i can't pay for coffee anymore and it's awesome because you know i've always said you can't out give god you can't out give the universe, but it's fun to try. Try it and see what happens because, and this all, you know, what I sum it up as, and it's part of what I teach, is what I call the art form of building relationships. And it's so much fun to where now, anywhere I go, like people are going out of their way to try and do something kind to me because I did it. To them, But again, this was not a plan or a formula. This was just my natural heart. But now seeing the fruit of it is amazing. So whether that's in business, tattoo shop, the grocery store, whatever. 
So like uh, some of what you're talking about there is pretty impressive just as life philosophy. And essentially you have to be intentionally present and aware of the human aspect of what's happening in your space. Yeah. And that's something I feel like is maybe lost in the business world in general because most people are constantly thinking about streamlining their efficiency, hitting their numbers, making their profit, and keeping their business moving. Mm. But that's sometimes at the expense of the interactions with people and their impact on their community, Mm. which maybe is why some businesses don't succeed. Mm -hmm. You seem like a very present person. Mm. Um, which is refreshing to me because a lot of people are so digitally connected, they're just addicted to their devices or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. They're scattered. How connected are you to everything? I mean, you guys have social media stuff, but personally, are you constantly online? Are you constantly connecting with people digitally? Yeah. Well, so we can start with I'm not a techie at all and have been forced to play the social media game for business standpoint. But... After saying that, when I am in those rooms, you know, because I call, I can, you got to look at it like this. Being on a platform on social media is like being in a room. And whatever you do or say, it's as if you were doing that and saying that live in person in the room. Even if it was a small get together at your house, a small cocktail party, a small Bible study, whatever, a small group getting together. You know, in those settings, whatever you say, however you engage, knowing that everyone in the room is like listening to you, you probably think about who your your state of being in that moment. But for some reason, when people are online, they don't bring that same uh, vibe with them and, and are just sharing and saying whatever instead of realizing, nope, you're in just a room of people. And so really who you are online should be the same who you are offline and who you are online. You may not think people are listening or watching like they would if you were in their presence, but they are, and it matters. In a room, I'm present with you, and online, I'm present and realizing it matters. My wife works in a very consumer facing job. So yeah. she's interacting with people all day, every day, anywhere from 50 to a hundred new people yeah. every single day. And, uh, she was telling me her breakdown would be like four types of people essentially mm. in those interactions. There's people that say you're here for me. Mm. There's people that say you're not here. Mm. <laughs> and she said, mm. that's the majority. That's yep. like 90% of people right there. Mm-hmm. And then you have a small percentage of people that say, you're here. And I kind of acknowledge that, Mm. you know, you're a person. Mm -hmm. And then there's a very small percentage of people that she interacts with throughout her week that have the fourth perspective, which is, I'm here for you. Mm. I'm in this room for you. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm going to interact with you. Like, like not just like you're a a real person, Mm. but like you matter. Like there's things that have happened in your day that I don't know about. You have, a family, you have beliefs mm-hmm. and you might be going through something difficult right now, mm-hmm. whatever it is, mm-hmm. I'm here for you. And to actually look somebody in the eyes and, and be present with them <laughs> is, uh, it's, it's astounding how 
different that makes you seem to people that you interact with. She says, like, I notice it right off the bat if somebody's like, and I'm here for you person because it's so rare. That's right, brother. And something you said that, you know, that last one, I'm here for you also turns into or becomes we're here together Mm. right now. Like we're here right now. Whatever I'm here for, whatever you're here for, we could be anywhere in the world. Somehow, we are here right now, you know, whatever that looks like. But to be present in that moment and for both parties to realize that is a safe thing. And what's crazy is, here's a little secret. And once you realize this, it can be freeing, you know, because we all get afraid. We all, you know, and to the, these days, people are so quick to place labels and take ownership of, well, I have social anxiety, I have anxiety, I have this, I have that, you know what I'm saying, never in my life have I heard as much as now, people are so quick to to give themselves an out from just being present and caring about someone else and their out is because I have anxiety, well, guess what, maybe we have anxiety. Maybe it's not not just you. Maybe everyone around you does too. So now what? Basically what I'm getting at the secret is, is when you come to the realization of realizing, even though it can be scary at times, that the whole world is afraid. Everyone else is scared. And they're not just scared too. They're actually more afraid than you are. And so when you realize that, when you start to feel afraid. And when you remember, actually, even if it's the person I'm afraid of, is actually afraid of you. Now you can cross over into helping them not be afraid. And you'll lose your own fear in that process. I know they ain't got no business being afraid of me. Let me be the first to let them know that by my way of being. So often, like growing up in the U.S., we're fed a particular narrative that says, if I get an education, if I have certain experiences, if I pursue things in a specific way, I can climb a corporate ladder, a hierarchy of authority, get to the top of some ladder and make, you know, exorbitant amounts of wealth that I stockpile for myself. And that is called, I'm successful. Um... Do you think that's a true narrative? And if not, um, do you have an alternative definition of success? First, I would say the true definition of success is someone that's actually found and walking in happiness. And and so whatever that could look like, you know, because we know now there are multi-millionaires that are miserable and there's dudes that are making 40, 50K a year and actually like what they do. And they get to be at every soccer game of their kids, every event. And they're not a millionaire, never will be. But uh, kind of like a brother off It's a Wonderful Life realizes he's the richest man in the world. Even at the end, when on paper... He didn't have much. He was almost about to lose it all until the community came together to help him. But in that moment, he realized he was the richest man in the world. So for starters, it's not just monetary. 
um, it's more happiness and that comes so now it's an there's no cookie cutter it's an individual deal you know and I think part of that narrative growing up was all these got to's well you know you got to do this then you got to do that you know what I'm saying um, and we're programmed even at a young age when you're in high school you got a high school counselor first of all like approaching sophomore are you going to college or are you going to go into a trade you want to go to the joint vocational school or are you going to stay here to go to college as if kids are supposed to figure out who they are and what they're going to do or be the rest of their life now you guys know even if you think you got a clue you'll probably change 10 times uh, you know in that journey so the pressure you know that's put on us and then even in school well you got to get good grades then you got to go to college you got to get this degree blah blah, blah so that one day you can get a job blah 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 um and that's the narrative that i almost hate for folks if it's being presented as the only option um because it's a narrative got to's versus giving a child permission to walk in a narrative of get to's you ain't got to you get to and I believe the desires of our heart is foreknowledge of our future. Not everybody wants the same thing. And to somehow give people and our children permission to go ahead and really ask the question instead of what do you want to be to help them figure out who they already are on the inside. Well, what are the clues? What they're already drawn to, what they like, figuring out how to make a living at it is the next step, but it needs to be birthed out of who are you already? What are you drawn to? What do you feel like trying versus like what looks good, sounds good on paper so that they can get to a place of happiness and and contentment. But we're all beautifully clumsy. We all fall down. You just get back up. And something I've learned, relearned this year in just where I'm at in my business, everywhere I've come, and I thank God to the place, but even where I'm going now, you know, something with me, I've always been a perfectionist. I'm all about, I'm all in. If we're doing it, we're doing it. If we can't kill it, then we're not doing it, you know. Um, and sometimes that served me well, but other times, waiting to pull the trigger on something until it's perfect causes me not to ever pull it. And so two things I've realized is one, imperfect action is where it's at. It's way better than no action. Two, clarity comes in the doing. I rather have a conversation instead of all the reasons why we can't is to have a conversation starting with how can we? Who do I need to be right now to start to have and do these things. I don't know if you boys have heard the concept of have, do, be. And that's the way most people are raised to think, well, I'd like to have this in my life and do this so that I can become this. And that X's people out. Well, I can't become that and I can't be doing these things until I have this. Like, you know, I don't have enough money. I don't have enough resources to do what I want to do to become what I've always dreamt of being. It's a have, do, be concept, which is completely backwards. And this is something 
I've learned. So this isn't something I'm just telling your audience like I've got mastered, but it's being aware of it instead of allowing yourself to be held back because you don't have something that you're trying to do and eventually become to flip that deal. Become that right now in your mind, in your heart, in your gratitude. Take on that state of being right now and watch worlds shift you can actually just start doing, you know? So if it was someone's like, I want to be this. Well, okay. Pretend you're that right now. What would you be doing? And in the doing of that, then you watch, you start to have those things now quicker, you know? I think I resonate with that a lot from even starting this podcast. Cause this is a relatively new venture for us. We're yeah. six episodes in, uh, just to the raw recording part of it, yeah. and uh, neither of us have any idea what we're doing. But it was it was one of those things where we, at our very core, believe in these ideas. Mm-hmm. I mean, we we believe this. We try to live this way, mm-hmm. and uh, then the next step was like, let's just let's just do it. We'll just ask people if we could interview them. Right. They'll probably say no. But then everybody said yes. And we were like, well, I guess we better buy some equipment, you know. And uh, here we are somewhat down the road on this thing. And so that's a, I think that's a really powerful flip. That's right, brother. Ready or not, you guys decided, let's just go ahead and be it. We want to do a podcast. What does that look like? Well, we probably need some microphones and some headphones. and <laughs> Let's be that. And since you decided to be that, now you're doing it. And now you have a podcast. Guess what? Clarity's coming now in the doing, things come together when you just decide to be it now, which causes you to do something, take action, even if it's imperfect action. So making a change in your life doesn't mean you have to become, do something new. It's more about reframing what's around you where you're at. Mm. And so an old stale job can become a passion passionate pursuit if you start to understand the the framework around you in a new way oh yeah and i mean it a lot of it comes back to valuing people and pursuing the good life but not for yourself pursuing the good life for the way that your life can impact people around you the good life for the common good and givers get givers don't give to get just comes with the territory givers get yeah i mean even something you said made me think if you're doing it for the benefit, mm. it's really manipulation. Yeah. And how authentic is that? That's right. That's right. Man. There's a, a core belief in abundance that I think has to be present for a life of gratitude. It's one of those words that you don't see around a lot, but it's, it's in direct contrast to scarcity. Mm-hmm. Scarcity is belief that I have a very limited set of resources and so I have to protect them. I have to kind of hoard as much as I possibly can for myself. It's a very defensive posture. Scarcity is is very much about me. Abundance is very much about us, right? Together. And there's there's plenty of resources. There's all kinds of opportunity. So you can you can live in a way that is for other people because you believe that their success or their happiness or th- or good things coming to them doesn't implicitly mean that bad things are in store for you or that you're you'll have less. And so abundance 
over scarcity is a I think a huge mind shift. It really, 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 really is. And people don't know what they're missing, you know, that scarcity. Because you see it. And you see it in business, everywhere. And, man, it's just not a way to live. And even the people that think that's the only way they gain, well, there's your reward. They just don't know how much they're limiting themselves, you know. And it's weird because it's a heart condition. Because even someone with that, it whatever we've been talking about today, to try and you know, I found sometimes it's tough to get someone to cross over and to let go of that because even that type of person is considering doing it as like a chess move to <laughs> still get more for themselves. <laughs> right. So to, 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 it's hard to get someone to just fully let go and receive abundance and let go of all these li- limiting beliefs. Or that's something that's still been hard for me. The best way, breakthrough, best I've ever been able to convey that to others is just living it by example and then being watching it long enough. Then they naturally get inspired and start to take, try it on versus it being like their next plan for more for themselves, you know? Yeah. I think there's a huge piece there too that we've kind of circled around a few times. You talked a lot about fear earlier Mm -hmm. and scarcity is definitely Mm fear-based. Whereas abundance, living out of an understanding of abundance is Mm -hmm. Mm power-based. I mean, you're definitely leveraging hope Mm -hmm. and you're expressing that hope through gratitude. Mm -hmm. And that is something that is intrinsically connected to love Mm -hmm. and naturally is going to um, impact people. Mm. And so then we're also moving away from this narcissistic idea of I need to manipulate, kind of how can I switch things for my benefit, Mm -hmm. um, which also flies in the face of some of those ideas of um, independence or isolation. You know, I'm doing this myself for me because my needs are the most important needs, Mm -hmm. as opposed to understanding that we need to be in a healthy way Mm -hmm. dependent on other people. And I don't need to be afraid of people that may try to take what is scarce. No, that's not true. The resources around us, there are plenty of them, and we actually live a more healthy and holistically grounded life in community with others, depending on one another in a way that is positive for everyone around us. That's right. And everything's uh, contagious. So that's why the power of just one person walking in this can change the culture of a whole place. That's what we hope, in part, we can do with a podcast and in a small way make one small difference that's right it won't in somebody's life that causes them to take a step that inspires them to say you know what like let's just go for it now that might be a business venture right it might be an idea that they have it also might be i'm just gonna start becoming a regular like you talked about at a at a coffee shop and i'm or i'm gonna start leaving my phone in my car when i go in to the coffee shop and i'm gonna just try to connect Mm -hmm. with the barista or I'm going to try to treat the people that I work with like they matter Mm. today Mm -hmm. just to take that one step Mm -hmm. today because Mm -hmm. you might not have tomorrow. Mm -hmm. And so live today like it was the the last one. And I I learned years ago that I was not going to take things for granted due to going through some tough times back in my rebellious days. I was at a guy where I a play. I was the guy that I almost had to lose it all to then really appreciate what I had, whether that was my freedom and getting locked up 
or coming close to death and being on my deathbed in the hospital. It was times like that where I've almost lost it all to realize, you know, I remember even, you know, this was 20 years ago, but even when I, you know, got arrested and went to jail at that time, I thought I had problems, but you know what? Being locked up and your freedom taken from you, even if your freedom's taken from you in a hospital bed, now you just miss having the luxury to get out there and face those so-called problems that you don't even have that luxury no more. And so I realized a long time ago, I'm not going to wait to almost lose it all to realize what I have, even if it's what we perceive as problems. A lot of people may say or think right now, listen to this, like, oh, that sounds good, even, you know, but you don't know what I'm going through, or that's easier said than done, right? In the battlefield, the prison's in the mind. So here's like a hack that I use when things are tough, you know, um, and we've all heard like, hey, gratitude, keep a gratitude journal, brother. You know, we've all heard that, right? But guess what? And being in gratitude may sound cliche. A lot of the shit that's cliche is true. That's why it's cliche. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? (laughs) But anyhow, in recent months, when it just seemed darkness was hitting my family, my house, this city, all at once, you know, it's like boom, 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 one right after the other, you know, boom, the whole city gets... Hamilton with the tornado wrecks half of our city. You know, I was in the basement with my baby and my kids, like telling him it's all going to be okay. All the while internally praying that that was even true. And, you know, thank God my house didn't get leveled, but all my neighbors did. It wrecked our whole city. As you guys know, that was tough. And of course, yeah, we were out of power and water for weeks. Couldn't even make a bottle for my baby. You know, that was tough in the midst of that losing our sister. Boom, another wreckage. Because that was even hitting my wife, the family. Boom, in the midst of that, then we had the shooting. And our brothers and sisters get shot and killed. Boom, right after that. Then had another death. And then another death. And it's just like one thing after another. And my wife obviously just lost her sister. So her, she's just been in mourning. Well, we've got a one-year-old baby, a seven-year-old daughter and 15-year-old. So, you know, I was doing the best I could to be present and help and take care of the kids so my wife could properly mourn, and she's still mourning, you know. Um, but all that at once, and in the midst of all that, I'm driving with the baby, and my truck just, you know, explodes, breaks down. Well, it was under warranty, so I sent it to get fixed, and I'm in a loaner. Um, long story short, someone messed up the paperwork and avoided, avoided the warranty and the dealership was saying, Hey, sorry about you. Bring that loaner back. You know, so I was bringing the loaner back to get my now broken vehicle that still was under warranty, but now isn't. And it was just one of those moments where I felt like defeated and hit from all sides oh not to mention earlier that day we had gotten robbed you know because after the tornado there's scavengers all around right and I pulled in my driveway to to pick up my babies and ran in the house left my vehicle running and my vehicle got robbed the four minutes I was in the house grabbing my baby and making a bottle. Went out and didn't even have a damn cell phone. It was gone, you know. So and you know, so it's just one thing after another, like bam, 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 you know. So driving along one of those moments uh, and just feeling discouraged. 
and I felt like darkness start to like discouragement start to take over you know what I'm saying just like and start to get real 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 down and in that moment it was at least like in the spirit realm it's as if I reached in my pocket and pulled out a big lighter and just flipped it just to try and get a spark in the midst of all the things that were going bad in the midst of all the things that I don't even know how it's going to happen starting with I don't even have a vehicle now to drive my babies in I basically thought of one thing that I was thankful for and I literally spoke it out loud and just said how thankful I am for the one thing I, which turned it and which made me think of a second, which made me think of a third thing. And then my voice started getting louder and I'm driving in the car and just almost like a warfare type spirit, literally just, and this was like survival mode and like yelling that I'm so thankful for this and I'm thankful for this and thank you for this and thank you for this. And it turned into 30 things I was thankful for. And I literally went into almost almost like a fit of praise and thanksgiving for all these things that I still do have. And boom, that darkness went away and everything shifted. Externally, nothing had changed, but internally, everything had changed, which caused everything externally to change. In that hour, everything changed from being so dark, so discouraging to crossing over into gratitude and abundance. We talked a lot about like living for the common good, um, being present, uh, caring about other people, like recognizing that people actually matter. Do you think that what you're doing, how you're living will matter, make a difference in a hundred years? Wow. I'd like to think so. I'd like to hope so. And it's crazy. Some of the predictions with technology, which is mind blowing, but uh, I mean, I've even heard predictions that a hundred years from now, my great-grandchildren will actually have the technology to come back to this very moment in this room with us three sitting here talking and watch us. You know, how that's going to happen, I don't know. But so, <laughs> if that's true, then yeah, man, they, they're all going to be listening and watching. Super you know? cool and yeah. terrifying. That's right. <laughs> in is. fact, they're here right now. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> we just don't Hey, guys. That's yeah. right. <laughs> that's right. They're out. We're the only ones stuck in space and time. They're not. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I'd like to think so, you know, even artistically, you know, the tattoos I'm laying down today very well may outlive me. And so even as an artist, that's a little piece of me I'm leaving behind legacy. I know when I do cross over and pass on, there will be a lot of my art still here walking around. So that's cool. Um, and, you know, we just never know the impact. We're always on stage, whether you realize it or not. Um, and I've had to grow into taking responsibility that I have an impact and then not being attached to the outcome, which is hard for me because I care so much, but I've had to let go and even check my own ego. Like, 
you know, and to not be attached to the outcome. Now, sometimes we're shown, hey, where fruit is bared and that feels good, like, because that's a inclination. Wow, it does matter. I do matter. There's the fruit of it. But then there's other times where you do things and you never see the fruit. And I can't really say never, but in that season, you don't. But my God, I can't tell you how things years later, then someone came up to me and thanked me or shared a story of something I said or did seven years ago and how it changed their life. And I just never knew it. But you know what? Even hearing about it seven years later was such a blessing and so encouraging. And it reminds you, oh my God, you know, A, it's worth it. B, you just never know, you know. So, you know, 100 years from now, I'd like to think so. Um, and I'm not done yet. So maybe by the time that my journey here is done, I will be able to give you a strong yes, you know, for sure. There's our great grandkids calling now. Matt Clemmer sees value in all people. His anthropology, what he understands to be true about people, is that they, in and of themselves, are valuable. It has nothing to do with what they do or who they are. But the fact that they are a human means that they have an intrinsic value that is not contingent on their performance. So for us, that's the foundational belief is that all humans have value. They're important, not because of who they are, like in the community or because of what they do or what they've accomplished or how much money they have, but because they are a human. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the One Small Difference podcast. We've had a blast. Hopefully you have as well. Other couple ways that you can engage with us, you can rate and review this podcast. That'd be super great because it does help other people find it. You can also follow us on Instagram, one underscore small underscore difference. Share this podcast with people that you think would benefit from it. Your friends, your neighbors, your mom and dad. These are great ideas. You can support and explore the concepts that we've laid out here. Um, This is something that these people that we've talked with have done for us. And you can do that by patronizing these businesses, go in and see what kind of difference they have. Ultimately, I think these concepts can challenge us to think about the way that we make decisions every day and appreciate the ramifications it has in our daily life. Yeah, and really, we believe that these little small differences can add up to really big differences long term. And so go out and live today in a way that will matter in a hundred years. Shalom.